The first Bible reading um, comes from Exodus chapter 6, verses 1, 3 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And our second Bible reading comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a, tr on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kate. Raju was a 12-year-old boy who enjoyed his schooling and loved his family. His family lived in significant poverty, affected by disability. And so when a local farmer offered Raju work, they jumped at the chance. But their joy turned to despair when Raju never came home. Instead, he spent the next eight years in forced labour, a type of modern slavery where people, often children, are held against their will and made to work for next to nothing uh, to pay off a supposed debt that is uh, astronomical. Vulnerable and without help, uh, Raju had nowhere to turn, and even though he tried to escape, each time he was dragged back and the conditions and the beatings got worse. Raju's situation is a modern-day example of the kind of situation that led uh, to our reading from Exodus 6, uh, where God reveals himself as uh, the Redeemer. This is our final week in our series, God Is, We Are, and each week we've reflected on a different aspect of God's identity. 
Um, and we've thought about how that is good news for us and who we are. Uh, in week one, we saw how, the God, uh, how God the Creator makes us in His image uh, to reflect who He is. I think we've got the, the image from the first week, uh, God is the Lord. Uh, in week two, how God the Father adopts us as His children, giving us a place in His family. Week three, how the Holy God shares His holiness with us cleanses us from all evil and shame. We are made holy. And last week we saw how God is love, how he generously pours his love into our lives. This morning we're looking at how God is the Redeemer who rescues us. 12-year-old Raju needed redemption. He needed redemption from slavery on that farm. So too did the people in Exodus 6. In that case, it wasn't just one child. It was a whole people group, the Hebrews, the the descendants of Abraham who were in slavery. Uh, You'll remember their ancestor, Abraham, had received a promise from God, a covenant, a binding commitment from God that, that God would bless him, that he would be blessed, that he would have a large family of descendants and that that uh, extended family would be a blessing to the whole earth, to all people on earth. Uh, But a few hundred years after Abraham, that is not the situation. Yes, there's lots of them, but now they're enslaved in Egypt. They're compelled to do hard labour, making bricks. They're not even given the raw materials to start with, and their sons are purged. They are suffering in slavery and they're powerless to save themselves. At this point, God's promises seem a million miles away. But we're told God remembers his people. He remembers his promise to them. He doesn't forget them. He promises to redeem them. He promises to rescue them out of their desperate, helpless situation. He says to them in verse 6, as Kate read from Exodus I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God remembers his covenant, his promise to Abraham, and he makes this new promise to rescue them, to redeem them from slavery. And when you're stuck in slavery powerless to help yourself, that is exactly what you need. You don't need someone telling you how to improve your situation, telling you how to make the best of it. You need someone to rescue you. And that someone needs two things, particularly. Firstly, they need to be powerful. Look at how many times God emphasises his power, his might, Uh, He refers to his mighty hand twice in verse 1 in Exodus. He is God Almighty in verse 2. And in verse 6, we see why God needs to be powerful, because rescuing Israel uh, is going to require mighty acts of judgment. God's going to use his power to execute justice against Pharaoh, to judge him for enslaving his people. And And this is needed, right? Because slave masters don't typically uh, easily let their slaves go, do they? They're not normally that keen on it. 
That, that, oh, fine. Oh, you want to oh, leave? I didn't realize. Oh, sure, no worries. That's fine. It's not like that. Slavery only works because the master has power over the slave to compel them to work and to stop them from leaving. And so it takes a greater power to judge the slave master to compel them to let the slave go. So God will use his mighty power. But great power isn't enough. You also need compassion. If God didn't care about his people, if he didn't have compassion for them, then it wouldn't matter how powerful he was. He wouldn't rescue them. But that's not the case. God listens to his people. In verse 5 he says, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I've remembered my covenant. God hears their groaning and their suffering. He remembers his commitment to these people. He doesn't close his ears or turn away. He hears and he acts with power and with compassion. And as you read on in Exodus, you see God deliver on this commitment. He uses mighty power to defeat and judge Pharaoh. He shows compassion to rescue his people uh, through that judgment. And he brings them into a new life. He redeems them for himself to be his beloved people. And as God does this, we see uh, an insight into who God is. He is the God who redeems. He is the Redeemer, the one who rescues from slavery with power and compassion. Now, friends, this is what redemption is all about. It's rescue from bondage for a new life by a powerful and compassionate Redeemer. It's what the Hebrews needed. It's what Raju needed. And the scandalous claim of the Scriptures is that it's what you and I need. The Bible says we need redemption. That means that God's verdict for us is that without his intervention, we are enslaved and powerless people, powerless to escape our slavery. I want to let that just settle in for a moment. God's word claims that all people need redemption. How does that sit with you? For some of us, we know this is true. Maybe you're trapped in your circumstances. You can't see a way out of addiction or unemployment or debt. Maybe it's mental illness this can be one of the features of depression, that you feel trapped and you can't even see the possibility of change or escape. Some of us know we need to be rescued. And if that's where you're at, God, God sees you in that and he has power and compassion for you. Others of us, I suspect, bristle at the idea that we need to be rescued. I'm not a slave. I'm free. I'm independent. I can make my own decisions. I'm not subservient to anybody. 
But the Bible's claim is not just about our circumstances. It's deeper. It says that our hearts, our minds, our wills are enslaved by sin. What does this actually mean? It means that sin is a a power, a rival power to God, a power that holds us captive. Sin is not just some small naughty acts from time to time that, that we might commit. It's a power that grabs our hearts, shapes our desires, and directs our decisions. It leads us to live for ourselves, or perhaps our family, or our career, anything else really, other than God. And because we're living for these things more than God, because we believe that they are what we really truly need, not God, we're enslaved to them. We make them our master. We'll do anything for them and we're unable to please God. We might still try to please God. We might try to be good and follow God's law. This is the the religious version of being enslaved to sin. Here's what Galatians 10 says about this in verse uh, 10. It says, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Here's the problem if you're trying to please God. And if you're trying to do that by keeping laws. The problem is you can't do it. As much as your life might look good, do you really love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Do you really love your neighbor with the same urgency and compassion with which you love yourself I don't trying to please God by being religious by keeping laws by uh, loving him or loving our neighbor it's a recipe not for pleasing God but for being cursed for enslavement Uh, Imagine someone who comes over to your house, you've got some lovely flowers growing in the front garden, they pick some of your flowers, and then they turn to you and say, oh, look, I brought you flowers. Right? Are you impressed? Apologies if this is close to home from some others this morning. (laughs) But maybe it's a nice sentiment, but actually they're claiming as theirs to give something that actually belongs to you already. And by breaking it off, they've killed the flowers. Now they're going to wither and die rather than leaving them alive where you can enjoy them. But isn't that what we do to God? We offer him our gifts and our good deeds when really we can only do them because he created us in the first place, because he gives us breath and the opportunity to do them. We're already his. I don't think we're impressing him. That's the religious approach to trying to escape from sin. It's like trying to climb a greasy pole. Trying to escape from sin in our own strength by being good. It doesn't work. Uh, But for others of us, this is not what we're trying to do. It's not what we believe. Instead, we're trying the irreligious escape from sin. We reject the whole idea of a law that governs us. The law itself is the problem. So let's overthrow the law Reject external authority. 
Right? We say, I'll be free, I'll decide for myself what's good and what's not. I'll be the supreme legislator and judge in my life. And so we use our autonomy to try to escape from sin. In a sense, we deny it. And perhaps for a while we think we've been successful. But autonomy brings in other problems if we make it king in our lives. Uh, Firstly, it traps us in loneliness, actually. Here's what I mean. Um, If you make yourself the sole authority, then what place is there for others in your world? Either they're going to be a threat to you because they might have different views of what's good and bad and, and challenge your autonomy, make demands on you, or you might admit them to your friendship only while they agree with you. And so your community relies on everybody agreeing. But when everyone is their own individual moral judge, that's incredibly fragile. Your community uh, is not going to have deep roots. You'll be trapped in, in loneliness and living at arm's length from others. Lest their autonomy begins to impinge on yours. The second problem with autonomy is that it overestimates our ability to do what's best, even for ourselves. How often I've thought to myself, uh, wonderful, I've got a few quiet minutes just to sit down and relax. I can do something enjoyable, something worthwhile for myself. Uh, And 10 minutes later, maybe half an hour or more, I've frittered away the time, doom scrolling on Facebook, following down a rabbit hole, right? And I think, was that really how I wanted to spend that time? We're lured and influenced. This is just a small example, but we're lured and influenced far more than we care to admit. We actually need to have some helpful boundaries in our life, some limits to our autonomy and freedom that are going to help us flourish. They look like they restrict our freedom and yet they actually enhance it and help us flourish so that we can actually choose what is best. We need some constraints on our autonomy. So the, that religious version of escaping from sin, relying on the Lord, doesn't work. You can never be good enough. And this irreligious version of autonomy uh, doesn't work because it leads to being trapped in loneliness uh, and because it overestimates our power to choose uh, what is good. And... I'd also say that if there is a God, it actually uh, means that we're denying the God to whom we're accountable. That leaves you awfully exposed if uh, you're actually like a, a usurper trying to take his throne. So neither of these approaches work. But this shouldn't actually surprise us if sin is uh, slavery. If we're truly enslaved by sin, we won't be able to rescue ourselves by our own efforts. We're going to need a powerful and compassionate redeemer. Someone to judge sin, to rescue us. We're going to need to be rescued. This is totally different. It's not trying to save ourselves by being good. And it's not trying to escape by being our own judges. It's instead relying on a a redeemer who is both powerful enough and compassionate enough to rescue us from sin. That's humbling, isn't it? 
to be in a position where your freedom is dependent on someone else. And yet it makes sense. Raju can't save himself out of his slavery. The Hebrews couldn't save themselves from Egypt. If you're drowning at sea, you've been sucked out by the rip, you can't save yourself. All you can do is is wave and call out and hope that the lifesavers see you, that they'll have compassion and that the little red inflatable dinghy will come flying over the waves to rescue you. And if it does, if the lifesavers appear, what will you do? Will you keep thrashing around in the water and desperately try to save yourself? Will you say, oh, thanks for coming, I'm fine actually, just enjoying it out here, miles from the shore. Oh, I can swim, it's fine. No, you're going to do exactly as they say. You'll let them help you into the boat. You'll lie down and let them drive. You'll say thank you more than once, I hope. You'll probably be eternally grateful for the new lease on life that they've given you. In fact, it might be the start of a lifelong friendship because I think it would create an incredible bond between you and them that would, that would always be there for years to come. In Raju's case, it wasn't a red inflatable dinghy. Uh, it was a team of government officials, police, uh, lawyers and social workers from international justice ministries who came to his rescue. They freed him from slavery, they uh, judged and and charged his oppressor, they gave him a new lease on life, uh, set him up with a new life, and they shared his story. What about for us? Will you cry out to God for rescue? Don't keep thrashing around and trying to save yourself. Cry out to our powerful God for mercy. He is powerful, he is compassionate, and he has sent his son for you. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus has come to rescue you. He took your place. He took the curse that was yours. He made it his own. That's how much he loves you. And he's so powerful that that curse could not hold him. He he died, yes, but he rose to life again. He defeated death. He defeated the power of sin that enslaves us. And so if you call out to him for mercy... Freedom is yours. He brings you into a new life of of blessing. Verse 14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Remember that blessing that God gave to Abraham 
that he would be blessed and have a land and be a blessing to the whole world. Well, that blessing isn't just for the descendants of Abraham anymore. It's for Gentiles, for non-Jews as well. It's for you and for me and for all who call out to Jesus. We are a rescued people with a new life to live. It means now there's a deep bond between us and God, a lasting friendship with our Redeemer. We're no longer enslaved. And we don't become, we don't just flip from being the slaves to being oppressive masters because actually we become friends of God, children of God, loved by Him. It's a new paradigm, a new relationship altogether. He gives us his powerful spirit that we might resist the the ongoing power of sin in our life and enjoy his presence with us always. We're bound to him. So friends, if God is the Redeemer, uh, then you and I and all who trust in Jesus, who call out to him and are rescued by him, we are fundamentally rescued people. How do rescued people live? We live with gratitude. Right? Can we ever thank God enough? Can we ever pay him back? No. And he doesn't ask us to. He just asks us to walk with him, to enjoy our newfound freedom with him because now all we have is a gift for him and that transforms our outlook on life. It's a gift. And secondly, we live boldly. We live with hope and courage and and boldness because we've seen God rescue us, even you, even me, from slavery to sin. And so we live with hope that God might rescue others as well. Sometimes I worry we fall into the trap of being a bit pessimistic about this. We don't want to hope too much or ask too much of God. What if he doesn't do what we ask? What if we are are left disappointed? But what if we prayed bolder and bigger prayers for freedom, for redemption? in our own lives, in the lives of those close to us, in our, uh, for the lives of, of our wider community. Because we can live with bold expectation that God can rescue people. God can rescue people from addiction, from mental illness, from debt or unemployment, even from sin and from judgment. God can rescue people. From, from anything that ensnares us. He may do those things now. He may wait until Christ returns when every evil power is finally judged and defeated. But sooner or later, there will be no more slavery or oppression. God's freedom will reign over all. And you and I, along with thousands of other rescued people, will sing the praises of our great Redeemer together. Friends, God alone is the great Redeemer. 
He alone has the power to save because he's the holy creator. He alone has the compassion to save. A father's love wide enough for the whole world. His redemption has transformed every part of who we are. Given us a new outlook on life, freedom from sin. So let's pray boldly. Let's pray that we would see God's power and redemption at work in new ways. Let me lead us in prayer now. Our mighty God, you are an awesome redeemer. We praise you for your mighty hand and mighty acts of redemption. We praise you for your compassion, your nearness to those who suffer and are enslaved. We thank you for showing your awesome power and love in the Exodus. We thank you supremely for showing your mighty power and love on the cross, uh, for taking our place of slavery to sin, uh, that the Lord Jesus uh, would rescue and redeem us uh, through his death for us, through his new life. Please continue to work uh, with power, bringing... Uh, that redemption to more and more people. Uh, We bring to you those areas in which uh, we still experience the power of sin in our lives, uh, enslaving or oppressing us, and we ask that you would uh, continue your good work of deliverance. And God... Uh, if it's the first time for some of us calling on you for rescue, uh, then we ask that you would do just that. That you would redeem us from our slavery to sin, uh, forgive us from trying to please you in our own efforts or trying to live by our own autonomy. Uh, We turn to you and we look to Jesus for redemption. And we thank you for the life of blessing and the promise of your spirit. Help each one of us to live the new life that you have saved us for. In Jesus' name, amen.